Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Startline Stories, a new motorsport podcast brought to you by Speed on Screen. Uh, my name is Andrew Bisping, joined by Andy Lawrence, one of the partners of Speed on Screen. Andy, welcome to you. Hello, welcome to you. It's the Thank first you podcast. Very... Welcome to both directions. Absolutely. Um, so the very first episode is going to look at sprinting. And I'm really pleased that as a guest, we have Dave Greenslade, who I think we've both known for some time, but I don't know anything about the backstory of really. I've seen him at so many events, so it's going to be really interesting to see what he can share about his experiences in sprinting. Do you know more than I do about Dave at the moment? I'd like to think I probably do know a bit more than you do. Um, we have car shared in the past. I've known him for uh, 20 years, but I get the feeling I'm going to learn some stuff that I've never asked him before. We'll see. I know. It's, we can ask those obvious questions that we just don't know the answers to. So shall we welcome him aboard? Welcome, Dave Greenslade. Hi, guys. Hello. Good to, good to see you. Now, um, I think we've, we, might see, we might see an image of your car, which is a rather special sports Libra, if you like, um, slightly smaller, looking a little bit like a Le Mans car. But I just want to take your your mind back because people watching the watching and listening to the podcast might think you can only do it in an expensive car. If my memory is correct, I sat alongside you in a road car on a 12 car. I vaguely remember this sort of purple Japanese or Far Eastern estate car that you had. What was it? Do you remember? Yeah, so that was a Suzuki Bellino, which I picked up 200 quid. Um, <laughs> But that actually isn't the cheapest car in the cheapest one's been fifty quid. Fifty quid. Yeah, so which was which was higher, the cost of the car or the event entry fee? <laughs> um yeah, cost of the car slightly, but there isn't much in it when you talk about bangery. No, no. And I just I, I remembered that today and I just wanted to bring that out because it just shows the range of, of cars that it's possible to take part in motorsport in. Um, you know, we, we can all see various things on television and the, the sport that is televised tends to be higher price stuff, um, but it's not all about that. Um, so apart from remembering you in that Suzuki Baleno that clearly gives you incredibly fond memories, um, I actually don't know the answer to this one. So what made you start competing and what did you start with? So I've always been interested in cars. Uh, Back in the day, I used to watch grandstands, and my dad was interested in cars, which was Formula One with Willie Walker and all that kind of stuff. So I've always been interested in the competitive, competitive stuff. Um, wanted to, to um, just really get on track first. So it all started really from doing a couple of track days. Um, I was at the time I had a Nissan Skyline um, R33 GTS. Um, so I went, to, I went to Castle Coombe, did a track day, um, it was a bit of a greasy day, went around town, it got a little bit sideways, you know, nothing to worry about, no, no, no danger, but when I looked out the side window, there was a guy in the Volkswagen Golf coming across the grass on the inside of the tower, and I honestly thought at the point, I was like, brace myself, thought going to have a massive accident, uh, fortunately we didn't. Uh, so I came to the track, calmed myself down, drove home, and went looking for opportunity. Uh, so at that point, I went to Motor Club and just went to one of the club nights and went from there. 
Right. And what did what did you find when you got to the club night? What sort of people were there? What could you talk about? What did you, what do you, what do you what do you remember that you learnt on that sort of on those early club nights? Just how friendly everything was. It's probably like you know, how welcoming everybody was at the time. Um, it's really they explained to me a little bit like what you know you explained to me like um, on the intro uh, about how to kind of get into which sport and what Bristol Moat Club was offering. So the sprinting and uh, the hill climb down at Burbuskin Park. Um, so yeah, I kind of thought, yeah, that sounds really, really good. So let's give it a go. And I actually started, I actually did my first event at Cullen, right. uh, in 2002. On so one of the airfield locations. Yeah, <laughs> locations, brilliant venue. Um, and I took my spot map. I have absolutely no idea that you had your first event at Cologne. That's quite funny. Yeah, I have to say that. Five years later, I did my first uh, sprint at Cologne. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You two are going to make me jealous because um, I never, I wasn't into, I wasn't into competing in motorsport when Cologne was active. So I hear all these tales about what a wonderful place it was, <laughs> but never That's actually brilliant. been there myself. I think, Dave, you captured something there, didn't you, really? That there's a, there's a wealth of information that's available to people just by talking who've sort of almost literally been, that, been down that road before you. Can, can you remember any sort of golden nuggets that people came, came out with either, either then or, 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 or more recently? Um, uh, Fully enough, um, it was kind of just going mad at the start. Yeah, and, I matched, and I've actually kind of said that to quite a few people over, over the time because it's when you when you appear at an event, uh, you're in the class, you're against people who have been doing it for a long time, and then you look at the gap between yourself and the guys at the very front, uh, who are in the farmers, maybe, maybe slightly more prepared and stuff like that than you are at the time. Um, they just go along, enjoy it. Um, I think. With the sprinting, everybody's so friendly, and actually, it's quite social during the day. So you'll get you'll get friendly with the guys you're in the paddock with in your class, and it's just a great day out. And then, uh, and you race it more stuff like. Yes, yes, and I, I think you're you're right about that start thing. I um, I sometimes say to myself, Andrew, remember they don't give the prizes out in the morning. <laughs> So you've definitely, you've definitely got to be in the event come the afternoon. Well, um, um, different people take the day differently, don't they? So some people are like straight up there uh, near their fastest time. So Dave and I are really um, opposites there, aren't we? Because um, you tend to set your best time towards the end of the day and you just chip away, go faster and faster generally, except when it's needed. Um Whereas what I tend to do is go straight out in the first run and set what I think is pretty much my fastest time. And then it doesn't really get much quicker during the day. And you see that in practice. Some people are really quick at the block and then some people are a lot slower. And it's interesting to see how different people take it in different directions. Yes, I know, I know what you mean, Andy. The, the first event, the first uh, sprint I did was in... Um... Car I had at the time, little Rover two one four, so the bubble shaped Rover. Um, 
only had nine previous owners and I'm sure they were all careful with it. So no surprise, it was another few hundred pound car. I did an event on an airfield and I think the first one I tried to be neat and tidy. The second run, I thought, right, there's plenty of space here. If you run a bit wide, you know, you're not going to hit anything and, and sort of varied it throughout the day. And at the end of the day, the, the, t- the spread across four time runs was 0.4 seconds. <laughs> So it was kind of, however I approached it on that very first occasion, uh, it always seemed to come up with about the same answer. Um, which does lead to another question, actually, if you're going to improve things. Where do you stand, Dave, on, or Dave, Dave and Andy, on, on walking the track? Because at most events, there's the opportunity to walk the track before the day starts. And I know people tend to have very different approaches to that. How do you take uh, it, Dave? Uh, absolutely do it. Um, so I wouldn't walk the track at somewhere like Castle Keen because we've done so many rounds there and we know the track well anyway, but um, I would, I would definitely on a new venue, uh, walk the track. Yeah. So if you're there for the weekend, then like we tend to walk the track on a Friday evening. Yep. If we're staying, if we're staying there on the venue like a, a weekend, um, I know we're talking about sprinting here, but. I think it's even more important on the hills because there is so little margin um, on those venues that actually you gain so much just by just by walking and getting a feel for your breaking points and stuff like that. So I would 100% every time walk the track if it's somewhere where I want to gain a bit of knowledge. Yes. What, what about you, Andy? What do you do with that? Um. I would tend to, right. <laughs> yes, walking the track is definitely a way to do things better. Do I? Nine times out of ten, no. Um, <laughs> so, what, about, um, what about bicycle or scooter? So actually, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, a bike is a really good way of understanding what the track's like because you can feel bumps if it's particularly bumpy but you can feel gradient on a bike like you can't when you're walking. Because if you start rolling away, you know it's downhill. I had absolutely no idea after um, 10 years going around Castle Coon and never having walked it, because, you know, I haven't. Uh, and I You've went on a legs. bicycle. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's why I don't feel the gradient. Um, but I went, uh, I went the wrong way round and I cycled down towards... Uh, tower and I was freewheeling all the way from <laughs> Westway down to tower and I was like this is downhill and I got to tower and it was really off camber but from the spectator area you can't see that and when you're doing 80 miles an hour you just don't notice so it, no. it was fascinating for me no no and I, and I think I, I'm, I'm also in the in the in the category of walking of course um, and po- quite possibly actually if I turn up on a Friday and sleep in a tent or whatever walk it on the friday night and then it quite often can be on the saturday morning if it's a weekend event i'll then walk it again because it may have rained overnight there may have been dew um you or it may even have rained and dried up you don't know if there's any water on the track um i tend to take the view of almost you can't you can't learn too much you might pick up something new something additional even if it sinks into your subconscious because there was one um, year a few years ago where I, I think it was the first season after COVID, actually, I mainly competed at Kerbera. So it was the same 
track, albeit in a couple of different configurations, but physically the same place, um, event after event. But every time I'd still go through the walking regime. Um, and it, different things will suit different people. But um, for anybody on the podcast thinking of starting, I think, yeah, fill your brain with it. And, and in my head, it, I think it's the fact that some of that stuff sinks in subconsciously. Um, and, you, and then you find find you use it. The other one, um, which would kind of course look funny, Dave, and um, might certainly apply to you in the radical because you're sat down so low. Do you ever find yourself ducking down to try and get uh, get your eyes at the same level they'll be at in the car rather than standing up straight? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's quite surprising when you race a production car and then you go into platform. Um, just how different the view is. Um, it's the only two foot lower, um, but there's a lot of stuff which become blind entries into corners and stuff like that. So yeah, we you know, duck down. And it's good because if you're looking for a breaking point, then you've got more of an accurate idea of where that breaking point might be. Um, Whereas, like, when you stood up, you think, oh, there, and see the exit back corner, that's absolutely fine. And it's it's just, you can't see it at all. And do you adjust depending on whether you're in a, a right-hand drive car, a left-hand drive car, or a central driving position? I've never tried it other than right-hand drive, so... <laughs> I hasn't really come as part of my, um, my prep. Okay. So I think, I mean, this sounds... In a way, this, this part of the conversation sounds desperately anoraki. But I suppose what it's doing is is indirectly saying, well, these events are timed to the hundredth of a second, and events can be decided by a hundredth of a second. Um, I know so, hill, I know it's a hill climb, but what it's meaning is that um, at Wiscombe Park beat the outright record by one hundredth of a second this July. So it is that fine margins. So we can actually get closer than that, can you? Uh, so this year we were at Prescott on the Sunday. Uh, we actually set uh, the identical time uh, between the inside and we actually set the identical time. The only way that they could um, they could uh, work it out was they used the other times run um, to actually determine who actually won between us. Oh, they didn't uh, offer you a head, to, a head to head, a head to head race, <laughs> sadly. Well, I could have another go, to, 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 but um, no, that's not quite how it works. But uh, yeah, we were. Um, we were literally tied on time to 100 yeah. seconds. Amazing, amazing. And, and I guess that, I mean, again, isn't it? If you if you want the Formula One analogy, who's the biggest competitor for anybody on the grid? Your teammate. And uh, in, in a shared car, <laughs> you are teammates. So your experiences, and I know, Andy, you've shared cars as well. I, I haven't yet on a, on, a, on a sprint, but... What's it like sharing a car? It it can make it look a bit frantic, but I guess you get you you've got two people to help run the car as well. So talk us through the pros and cons of sharing a car, if you would. So, um, double well, sharing a car, double driving is absolutely um, so. I I'm sharing Simon with the radical. Uh, he shared his single seat with the radical. And then I'm sharing old Andy. Um, and also I've got another one um, shared with Sunshine currently. And it's just it's just great. It's 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 
yeah, your, your mates, you're racing anyway, um, and actually you're pushing each other on. So, you, like, like you said earlier, you've got you've got a switch on, you've got you've got runs to complete. There's nothing more that focuses your mind when your mate in the same car goes and starts stepping on you. And it's like, well, so we know the car can do it. So, you know, hold this down. So the pressure's on and then you've got to switch on and you've got to do it if you can. And it's uh, that, that actual intensity is, you know, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, your heart rate is absolutely nice. And I'm especially when, especially when you pull it off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure there's a lot of um, banter and geeing the other driver up that goes on as well. Of course. Um, yeah. Uh, no, we've known, me and Simon have known each other for a long time. So, you know, um, we actually kind of leave each other alone a bit now. Um, so when when we're actually preparing to do the runs, um, there is there is nothing worse a little bit than just someone having a chat because you because you do absolutely want to just focus on the job and just be ready when the green light goes. Yeah. Um, so I, we're both very similar in this. But we just need that. It's only a minute or two whilst we're in the assembly area, just to kind of focus, calm yourself down. Be ready, um, and then once the green light goes, then literally absolutely 100% maximum. Yeah, and I suppose that's respectfully allowing the other person to prepare in the style that suits them, isn't it, really? Yeah, 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 because it's, um, they try to be 100% fair on all the events. So there's certain venues when you go to where there's probably a advantage for the first driver or the second driver. So if the organisers allow us, then we would swap the positions, uh, the first and second driver during the day. So then that allows, so if it's a really cold day, for instance, uh, then the tyres may not be like in as well as they would be after the car's done a, a lap. So the second driver would probably have an advantage on the tyres. So if we're allowed to run and swap, then we do. And that gives both of us the maximum opportunity for a fair day that's time yes yes and just i'm just going a step back um to the point about letting letting the person prepare for their run as they head to, towards the start line and what have you um linking that into the earlier part of the conversation about it being quite a social sport um if there are people that haven't been to a sprint before and they're thinking of getting involved um castle coombe on the 14th of October is a good chance to do that. Um, and what people will find is generally that people are very friendly and helpful in the paddock, but just give them that space if they're getting ready or trying to fix the car problem. But there can be a fair amount of time in the day where you can have a great chat and learn a lot. Um, the car I've got now, I, I learned about doing exactly that, having a chat to somebody in the paddock um, when the car wasn't even for sale. So definitely recommend that. I, I was just thinking, um... How does uh, how does it all work with you and Simon? Some people decide to share um, 
to share a car and own it half each and some people decide to loan a car out I think you've done both haven't you Dave and uh, Simon's your partner now in the uh, radical isn't he so we've got um 50 50 in in that car so uh, all the bills are shared um apart from uh if you bend it you bend it all which um has to be that way so it's it's great because actually it keeps the cost down quite considerably um, you've also you also share the traveling to the events and everything else so there's like less cost for that um if the car needs some maintenance then again you, you, know, you share that and it's i mean that that really works like for us that absolutely works um i've also been fortunate enough to people off me uh like a guest drive um so they kind of say that i'm coming for, for a meeting and i double drive double drive my car um which is uh, super fun and uh, gets gets driven quite a lot of different things so uh, yeah that's been really good i actually did a tot up of uh, all the cars i've used in Motorsport UK competition, and we are currently at 27. <laughs> Brilliant. And, the, and what sort of variety sits within that 27? So, some of it's road cars. Yeah. So road cars I've had over the years. So, um, I think probably a dozen of those would be just standard road cars on NASCATs. So, um, and maybe PCTs. So, Probably 15 of those have actually been used on the track, but there'd be Bosch Urinx 5s, Pimus Fisher Lanza, and the old Skyline and stuff, other stuff like that, really. So, mostly production. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember knowing it was you going around the track when you had the, um, the Honda, because every time you got to. Uh... Quarry Corner at Castle Coombe, I think you used to turn the wheel and sound the horn, so so we knew you were coming. <laughs> it's a road-going car, so, so so that's quite easy to happen. It's also quite common. I haven't seen it with you, but you you suddenly look up and someone's going around the track with the indicators on because again they yeah. the snag yeah. goes all the way around. All the white, all the white when it's not raining. Yeah, that's another favourite. Absolutely. But presumably before that, you've pressed the air conditioning off. Turn the air conditioning off on a road car for those extra couple of bhp <laughs> yeah and uh, you also fold the rear seats down as well because that's um that's worth a couple of horsepower as well <laughs> i remember um spending a christmas eve uh having it was in the rover it was the rover actually having taken the carpets out and chipping away the sort of um what probably went on the sort of molten asphalt soundproofing and it was it was 23 kilos came out of the car and cost absolutely nothing so yeah power to weight ratio on a small on a small small engine car that was quite a lot yeah definitely was it was quite dense andy anything you'd like to add on on sharing cars and the arrangements and practicalities I, well, I, I've also done it a few times. Um, I've shared cars with Dave and uh, as in shared ownership with Dave and um, another friend, uh, Andrew. And I think what's really important um, is you've got to go into that. There's only one certain thing about uh, a car share arrangement, and that's that it's going to end. Yeah. Um, and you need to go into it at the beginning 
knowing that it's going to end and deciding between you how it's going to end, what that protocol is going to look like, so that when one of you decides to end it, that you have this conversation and it all kind of, it all works out well. Now, when, when I shared with Andrew, I didn't know him quite as well as I do now, obviously, but um, that, that was a really important thing. You know, we knew each other well, I trusted him, but not, not like we do today. Whereas with Dave, uh, when we started sharing, I'd known you for well over a decade at that point. And I think it was slightly different. We didn't really have so much of a conversation about that, did we? But yeah, so, and, and the car was kind of bang as well. It's kind of risk was um, lower, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So it always sounds like, um, a, a bit formal, but very sensible. It's it's sort of reminiscent of a prenuptial agreement or something, really. It's the the, the motorsport equivalent, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to know you've got to know just for the fans, for both of you. You just got to know where you stand. Yeah. So, you know, um, costings like you know, if if one party was looking in to spend a fortune on upgrading or so the party kind of doesn't, then that party isn't really going to last very long. So you kind of need to set a stall out at the start. And then once you, you know, if you're in agreement, then yeah, like it's much more likely to, to be a, a, an enjoyable, long-lasting relationship than it would be if you don't make it clear at the start and then all of a sudden you get happy through a season or down the track and then all of a sudden you want two completely different things. Yeah, and that's a good point, I guess, isn't it? You want to go into it with a similar mindset and a similar outlook as to the the, the venture, the adventure that you're about to set off into. Yeah, 100%. It's, 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 it's the only real way I think you can you can make it work. If, if both of you are, are, have got the same ideas, um, financially want to put a similar amount into it and all that stuff because as soon as it deviates one way or another then yeah i don't think it's gonna last for long no no so the, the car that you're the car that you're sharing with simon david can you dave dave calling you david now it's got very formal um tell us about tell us about tell us about the radical what what was it like when you got it what have you done to it what's the outlook for it now um, so so just going back slowly before the radical, um, Simon offered me driving his single seat horse um, back in 2017, I think it was. Um, and I was looking to do something else because I'd driven a Lancer for quite, quite a number of years and I was kind of looking for a new challenge. So that was perfect. That was perfect timing on that side. And actually, we then decided to kind of form the partnership back then. So we did some time in the force, a couple of seasons in the force, um, but it just wasn't really up for the like, beating, probably the best way to describe it. That's, um, we, were, we were both giving it, because it's a, it's a single drive hill climb car, really. So, um, yeah, there it is. Um, so, yeah, so you're on the, on the long sprints and stuff like that, you know, you're asking it to do probably more than its design brief. So it, it's all, it was a natural progression because Simon has previously had radicals to kind of go to more of an endurance car. So more reliable, um, 
more suitable for what we want to do with it. Um, so we started looking. Uh, there's not many out there, really. Uh, and then this, the one we, the one that we actually bought came up. Uh, it was actually for sale by RLM. We were the, you know, the go-to engine builders for the space. So why do we did a deal? Uh, it was it was kind of eighty percent built. So we we finished the build. Um, we wrapped it in the colours it is at the moment. And yeah, kind of did the back. Excellent. Yes, because because radicals in in the main are were were built for the largely for the one make um, circuit racing endurance events. Um, so yeah, quite a different different step for the car, different step for yourselves. Yeah, and the car wasn't car didn't need modification uh, to be a sprint car. So with the endurance cars, they don't really have heat management because once you're running. The airflow does all that. So we yeah. have some like, fit fans that control thermostat fans and uh, control the oil temperature and stuff like that. They small modifications, but just brings it into a sprint spec. Um, but um, yeah, the, the cars are amazing. Yeah. It, do, it, do you keep the original? Sense. Do you keep the original size fuel tank or, or shrink it down because you just don't need so much fuel? Uh, it's got the original size tank in it still. I think it's fifty liters. Right. Um, but because it, it, that's got its small part, that's got um, control inside the tank. Um, so then we just run it with smaller amounts of fuel in it. Yeah. Uh, that's not a leaf, by the way. That doesn't come off. That's, uh, <laughs> that was probably the, the wettest days in history that we ever ran the car. I think it played vision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same day I was there, but I remember a similar one two or three two or three years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, and actually, you see that if you see the, the blue on the tires, they were the new then Pirelli um, uh, wets full wets. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that car is, that car on those tires in the pouring rain is unbelievable. You were thinking almost driving in the dry. Wow! Amazing. Yes, and of course, tires in. Certain certain categories where it could be anything from slicks or intermediates to to full wet tyres is is fun and games. Um, I'm I'm going to guess here that you must have had some adventures watching the weather come in in places and deciding which tyres to be on and rushing around swapping them swapping them around. Uh, does that bring back sort of painful memories or is it just something you settle to? Uh, it's the joys of having that kind of car. Really, um, I think what's worst is when you're in the assembly. And it starts raining, properly raining, and you want slicks because um, that is uh, scary. I think probably the, the scariest drive I've ever had is silence force on slicks when we're in assembly um, and it's just absolutely good. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that was eye-opening. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing your choice is is go out on the on the tyres you're on, or return to the paddock and park it. Yeah, so sometimes you can really because because you're kind of in the way. So you're in the that, yeah, so if you're that kind of close to the front, there's not really much you can do. Um, you just keep the speed down. You know, it's it's a wasted run anyway. So um, yeah, we try not to be on the wrong tyres if possible. Yes. We, you know, we've got three options for tyres. Uh, we've got an ultra soft, and then we've got super soft when it's really hot, and then the full, full wet rain stuff. So, um, yeah, 
all the links are definitely not based depending on the web. Yes, and and I think from that picture you were on a single centre nut, so at least you only got one nut to undo. Is that right? It is, but you need one of the biggest bars in the world to undo it. It's um, it's, it's pretty tight. <laughs> but you've got well in the in the past you've told me about your calibrated elbow that means uh, that replaces a torque wrench. <laughs> Does that not do the trick? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the um, car wheel nuts. Right. Ah, okay. I think I've literally undone so many car wheel nuts in my lifetime. I pretty much know what eight meters uh, feels like. <laughs> so you mentioned the term spanner check there. So you get the car back from an event. Um, it's gone in the trailer. It gets unloaded. I don't know. I don't know where it lives. Um, just talk us through, if you would, the sort of typical cycle of what you do between unloading it from the trailer at the event of, end of one event and reloading it ahead of the next one. Hopefully, nothing really, um, apart from just um, making sure the suspension's still tight. Um, well, basically, everything is still tight. Uh, there's no leaks. It's just like kind of basics, really, that kind of thing. Um, generally, the car's been pretty good. Uh, we have, we've had a few niggles, but I think that's just kind of expected. Yeah. But, yeah, we just think we're, we're, the car's capable of like 140 miles an hour. So we just need to absolutely make sure that when, we, when we're on track, everything is tip top. And, you know, it's, well, why wouldn't you? Yes. So you're actually making it sound quite simple, common sense, practical checks. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just making sure everything's, everything's as it should be. It doesn't take us very long. We just remove the front body, remove the back body, and just check everything. Um, generally, don't find anything wrong. If we do, it gets fixed straight away, and then it just gets put back in the trailer, strapped in, ready to go. Yes, and, but, and before the car goes out on track ahead of the next event, it will be subject to um, scrutineering, which is the sort of basic um, safety inspection of the cars. Um, Dave, Andy, have have you had useful ad advice and things that scrutineers have picked up as, the, as those sort of fresh pairs of eyes in the past? Uh, yeah, so... Um... Yes, they do. They, I mean, those guys are really, really experienced. So they can take a look and um, I think recently the thing that's come to mind is our harnesses. There's a hologram on harnesses. I mean, and our harnesses were the wrong way around. It didn't make any difference to safety, but the regulations are all there. So that's something that we missed when we put the harnesses back in. Um, uh, but yeah, those guys really know what they're doing. So they, they are a vital in in the event to make sure that someone hasn't missed something silly um, and they keep us safe. Yes. Yes. Andy, what about your experience with scrutineers? Well, I'm an absolute muppet when it comes to uh, <laughs> spannering. <laughs> um, you know, you have to make sure all your wheels are on for starters. Um, yeah. And the best person who's going to walk around my car and give it the best look over um, is the scrutineer. Um, they're primarily there to ensure your safety. Yeah, some cars will do high speeds, um, like sprint cars at the top uh, at the top end are the fastest cars at most circuits. So 
you've really got to pay attention on this stuff. But on the flip side, you know, let's let's not forget this uh, podcast is about accessible motorsport. At the other end of the scale, you've got standard road cars, and actually, the preparation you need to do there is pretty much what you have to do for the road. You have to service your car, make sure it's um, make sure it's actually had some oil recently. The fluids uh, are topped up check it's got the right amount of air in the tires that the tires aren't too old yeah basic stuff like that goes a long way to safety um and then the the faster you get the more you can delve into well exactly what tire pressures am i running um and how am i going to set up the dampers for this particular uh, event and that sort of thing yeah you've reminded me actually of something that i'd forgotten which was before i did my first sprint which was in that little Rover 214. I remember going to an event, um, waiting till the scrutineer had dealt with all the cars that were in the event that day, or the team of scrutineers, I should say. And then I caught one of them and said, you know, would you mind um, telling me what you'll look at when I enter an event? Which was that sort of peace of mind thing, if I haven't done it before, what's scrutineering going to be about? And the chat was really helpful. Oh, there it is. Didn't know you had that picture, Andy. Um <laughs> And, and and he said, "Well, I tell you what. Rather than talk, rather than talk, you talk you through what I do. How about I I do a mock scrutineering of your car now, walk around the car with you, and and show you exactly what I do. So of course that accelerated um, my learning um, in terms of what was necessary. And of course a lot of it's common sense, but some of these things are only common sense once you actually know them. Um, so again, um, if if people are, are on this podcast who who are thinking of starting, that's the sort of thing that you, you might want to think about doing. And I think that's part of that sort of, I think we've touched on it, almost that sort of community sense of what the sport's like. Um, I, I know I've experienced it when I've had a, a car issue and all of a sudden there's lots of people <laughs> flocking around, you know, seeing if they can help, if they've got a tool that might be needed or a spare part or something like that. And I think it's... Um, I ask you in a minute what experiences you've had, but I think everybody wants to beat their fellow competitors, but they want everyone to have had a go. Yeah, so um, we yeah, we had we got with the MS5 challenge, well, we've had lots of first time competitors recently. So we we as a group of individuals would absolutely do whatever work, whatever it takes to make sure that those you guys are comfortable. Um, Especially maybe at the start of the meeting. So they've turned up, there's all this new thing to do, like they've got scrutineering and they've got to sign on sometimes and all this type of thing. So what you'll find is you'll just have your fellow competitors with you and they will just they will just be so happy to help. Just to name, put your mind at rest, there isn't anything to worry about. It's just all the formalities that go with uh, starting a meeting. And um, yeah, so if you are starting out, then there's so many, like I said, there's so many people to help you. you know, we, we want you to have a great time and enjoy your day and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you will absolutely have the support of all of your fellow competitors if, you know, when you come into this and, and you start. Yeah, I think that's, that sense you're conveying now is almost that sort of secret if it could be bottled and sprinkled around. Um, it would be great to do it. And people don't know it's like that until they've actually uh, until they've actually taken part. So, you know, again, I'd say 
yeah, come along to the Great Western Sprint, have a wander around, look at the event, talk to people in the paddock, have a look at lots of different sorts of cars. Um, there was somebody there, they're marshalling on one of the previous sprints who was normally a race marshal. And he was absolutely astonished at the variety of cars and the quality of preparation in the equivalent meeting in the previous year. Uh, absolute eye-opener eye, eye to him, which was, um, you know, really good to see. Um, the other side of things, of course, is we're, we're talking to you as a competitor, Dave, and um, there are a lot of other roles as well in terms of being parts of motor club committees, organising groups, um, performing various roles on the day, um, marshalling, and, and with your driver's hat on, these sorts of things can't happen without those those people being in place. Um, and I must admit, I don't I don't know what. Um, what, whether you have direct experience of those other things or, or, or Andy does to, to share any insight into those. So we, we absolutely need volunteers, um, not just at the race meetings, but also uh, also with the club. So we've got a core group of people who make the work club work and they've, they've got all different roles. So you've got the treasurer, you've got um, Membership secretary, and uh, you've got some competition secretary. You've got all these different roles, so it's many hands make light work mm. when it comes to like running the club because it's in, it'd be impossible for there to be two or three people to run the club. It's just it's, it's just too much of an animal for that. There's too many things to get done, so it's all broken down into small roles, um, which actually you know, we've got a great team actually work. yes so, and the social side as well with visits to various interesting places that always seem to occur when i'm not free unfortunately but there have been some great trips out haven't there yeah um yeah we've got new social secretary and uh, she's doing a great job and we've been uh to the aerial factory see how those guys have built those things which are incredible um we've also been to alcoholics and seeing how those guys build those cars, and again, absolutely incredible. Um, we do go karting uh, in winter season, um, which, is, which is really good to get some kids involved. So then we do like a kids, um, there'd be like a kids section where the, all the kids are racing each other and all that kind of thing. Um, we meet each other socially, um, even away from the track. Um, so I mean, I'm lucky enough to have. A lot of lifelong friends now from this, from doing this over the 20 years. Um, and you know, they, with those guys, I would, they would be doing stuff on the weekends, um, which isn't at the track. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's great. Yes. And whilst, and whilst the three of us share something about common geography and common, um, common club membership with Bristol, there are something like 720 Motorsport UK recognised clubs. So wherever people are hearing this, there will be a club or multiple clubs um, near near where near where you are. So I think it's a yeah, go along to the go along to the clubs, talk to people, and find and find one where it's a good fit, where you feel comfortable socially, and perhaps they do the sort of events that you're interested in. Um, and then <laughs> you'll be like Dave. Twenty years later, we'll be inviting you on a podcast to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, not all of our members who who were there on the social events um are even racers they, no. they just they just like enjoy the 
know, you can join the club or in whatever aspect that they, they're, they're members of. So you don't necessarily have to be a racer. You don't necessarily have to even want to be on the committee or be heavily involved in the organisation. Uh, if you wanted to, if you want to just keep up with what we're doing, we, we do a club magazine. The website was populated with information and news about what we've been up to. Um, yeah, and if you just want to come down and just have a really good chat, that's 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 good as well. Mm. It's 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 a community, isn't it? It's a it's a community of like broadly like-minded people, but they people can be there for different reasons, whatever suits them. Yeah, indeed, and um, it's yeah, it's it's the best thing I ever did was walk that door on yes. that um, on that whenever it was back in two thousand and two. Yes, yes. So if we if we take you back to um, if we take you back to the driving side, Dave, with your experience of um, twenty seven different cars and um, a fair amount of success across the years. Well, well, firstly, we won't let you be too modest. Um, what what do you class as your as your best achievements over this period of time? Yeah, there's been there's been some proper highlights. Um, like winning winning the ASWMC Sprint Championship. Um, really proud of that one. Yeah. Um, there isn't anything I can put a finger on really, hundred percent, because it's just all good. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, in, in the round, almost in the round, it keeps you coming back. It keeps you loving it. It keeps you engaged. Yeah. Um, there's there's been yeah there's been certain there have been events that stand out, there's been maybe a certain lap that stands out. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's certain things I look back on and go, yeah, absolutely on that. Um, you know, I absolutely maximise that particular event or particular lap. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Does that yeah. does that mean you have favourite venues where you where you have competed or would like to compete? There's so many good venues. Uh, we're so lucky. Um, what are your highlights? Anglesey's Anglesey is really, really good. It's so far away, but um, you know, it's it's oh. then you have to because it is it is literally that good. Um, I, I'd have to I'd have to I'd have to agree with you with Anglesey. So um, over. A fair period of years, not necessarily actually driving there, it may have been spectating or something. I've been to every active circuit in England, Scotland and Wales. And Anglesey was the very last one that I went to. And oh my word, what a wonderful place. What a simply wonderful place. Um, there are some photographs where you've got uh, cars going away from the camera down a hill looking out across the Menai Straits. You've got Snowdonia in the background. Um, and those pictures are wonderful. And I remember going down that hill. I, I, I wonder before I got there, can you actually see that when you're in the car? And I was going down that hill and I looked up and thought, oh, you can see that view. No, no hang on a minute. There's a there's a 90 degree left hand bend at the bottom here. I better, better, get, about, better get back to concentrating on the driving. <laughs> and it was worth that drive. It was worth going all that way. Just a wonderful place. <laughs> We were there literally weekends just gone. Um, took us six, six and a quarter hours, I think, to, to get up there on the, on the Friday. Um, you know, that's all forgotten because we had such such a cracking weekend. Um, and the Castle Coombe is our local track. I love Castle Coombe. Uh, Pembrey, again, um, 
quite angle C-ish in terms of like the commitment and speed. Um, really like it there. Um, we've also been actually trying to hill deck. Um, that's it's not the seasons. Um, me and Simon wanted to try some different stuff. Yeah. So we you know, we have done quite a lot of the hills which we had on our bucket list. Um, so Lowton Park, um, Scott Sheldon Walsh, you know, all the big names really. Um, and that's been that's been excellent as well. I know we're not talking about it all so much here, but um, uh, that's that's another really good avenue if, if you're looking to kept come into this sport. Um, they're, they're really, really good for spectating. So if you want to kind of get sense some atmosphere up and um, they see the cars that close, same as you can with, with sprints. Uh, if you've got a local hill fight next to you, then that's another option for you. you know, yeah, and that's a good point, actually, isn't it? Because probably a higher percentage of hill climbs are at um, what I call fixed venues rather rather than temporary venues marked yeah. out with cones. There are some short short term hills, if you like, temporary use of them, but in the main they're fixed venues, and therefore they are set up set up for spectating as well. Yeah. Um, yes. The the air, the airfield stuff isn't really very accessible to spectators um, route, and some of them actually don't allow spectators if it's like an MOD. No, there is so, the work. There is the workaround, of course. Come out and marshal. Well, that's that's the box seat. I mean, yes, that is literally uh, as close as you will get. Um, yeah, and, and again, the same with 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 the competitor stuff. If you you will absolutely be helped from absolute start to finish if you want to marshal. You you won't be put on post with by yourself or anything like that. You'll be put with experienced marshal to. Know, learn the ropes, see see what the what the crack is with it. Um, yeah, marshalling is. I mean, marshalling is, especially when you're right there, takes the track is is awesome. Yes, yes, and I think it's personally, I think it's one of those things where it it can be really nice to to mix it up, competing sometimes, marshalling sometimes, being involved in organising teams. It's it's. It's part of making that a sort of rounded experience and understanding the sport as a whole. Um, I remember, I remember post post COVID, the first first event back. I, I thought, do you know what? I'm actually going to go. I'm actually going to go marshal. I think I ended up in the paddock on the approach to the start line or something. And it was just nice to see people again on this um, because the, the sport is a tends to be tends to be a social one. Um, so, but, but so with your with your championship winning experience. What would you say, Dave, makes a makes a fast sprint driver? The, the, the key is I don't know. It's difficult because I'm going to speak for myself. So there's okay. Uh, what Andy, makes you What makes you quick, then, Dave? Well, like Andy was saying, um, some people have got different. No, you've got different approaches. So you've got go out and absolutely good maximum from the from the get go, and then that sets your stall out to do that all day or I'm definitely more as the build it and especially in the morning be to kind of just get my eye in, set up track conditions, um, get all the breaking points kind of set. But when we actually go into the time runs, then I'm kind of settled. Yes. Uh, but if you, you know to be to be quick, it's like you said it was one, it is effectively qualifying, maximum qualifying every time you go out. 
Okay. So you've got to be able to switch it on straight away. Yes. Which isn't necessarily that easy. Um, if it's a different, difficult, or different all day, then it's even more difficult because they, it gets wet or dries out and that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's, you've just got to have absolutely intense focus yeah. to be able to be in the car at that moment. Um, now I can guarantee you will not think about anything else in the period when you get in the car to when you step back out of it again. It no. is absolutely all constant. But I remember, I think it was one of the first times I saw you compete. It was in, it was actually in an auto solo, not a sprint. And, you know, you were, I suspect you'd have been in your um, Mitsubishi quite possibly. And and the auto solos will come up, come up in a, in a future podcast. Um, but you do get to, within a, an individual event, you both marshal and compete. And I remember seeing this chap come past and, and the course is set out with cones. Um, and I thought, wow, if that chap was close to that cone, he was lucky. He only just missed it. Um, and then, and then it was another run, and and and, and the car came past again, and it, and it was, oh, he's just missed it again. <laughs> and I think by about the third time it came around, and it was you driving it. I learned afterwards. You think, oh, he's only just missed it again, and and I, I, you know, my brain suddenly twigged. This isn't good fortune. This is practice, precision, consistency. And of course, you were well up the leaderboard. So, uh, and I guess some of that, did you feel that a spin course isn't going to be as tight and twisty, but do you need, do you feel that you're those margins of a, of a few inches or a few centimeters, ideally? Well, that's, that's the game. Um, if you if you string together a perfect lap with your, with your perfect um, course speed, uh, positioning, um, they either use the curves or not use the curves, depending on what they are. Um, because there's certain um, places we go to, we just won't use the curves because they're just too big. Um, so our car just doesn't work the curves very well. Absolutely, it's slow. Um, I think the same thing with sprinting and the same thing with auto solo is you you absolutely have to be on point all of the time on every corner, every braking, your your throttle application, everything. If you want to be fast, it doesn't matter if it's auto solo actually or sprint. Uh, if you're on point from the get-go, from literally from the second you launch it to time that you cross the line, then no, you'll be fast. Um, well, I know you're going to cover what we'll say over and over in another podcast, but um, for the for the youngsters, definitely, the solo is absolutely the place to start because they can they can start at 14. Uh, you'll gain the car control. If you've got some youngsters. Yeah, uh, couple members, my kids um, are actually doing this now. Um, yes, started, starting last year, and you can see the progression straight away, and that's that's what's going to make them really good sprinters um, later on, definitely. Yes, yes. Um, it was it was interesting actually. I was at an event um, a while ago. It was a it was a promotion. It was a a motorsport um, promotional event. Um, and and one of the um, uh, Colin Turkington was the British Touring Car Championship winner. It was actually a season he won it, um, and there was a demonstration auto solo type thing going on. And he said, "Oh, this reminds me of of, of, of driving a car um, around my mum and dad's concrete plant. I think they, they must have had a business in concrete of some sort. But doing that sort of driving was was what was what got him what, what got him started and made him a champion touring car driver." 
so yeah, and and look where he is. I mean, he's absolutely in the top of his game. Exactly. Um, which d does give rise to an interesting question, though. The seat time in sprints is obviously relatively low. Um, do you take advantage of some of these tracks and go and go testing separately away from there, or is your seat time fundamentally on event? So on event. Right. So, so the only time we would go testing would be if we um, have an refresh or there's been an issue with the car that we need to put some miles on it. She can drive on the road. Uh, yeah, we can drive on the road. So um, we were going to, no, we were going to land there, for instance, and we need to just do some, some testing, but it wouldn't, uh, I'm, I'm not particularly interested myself in doing track days. Um, it, would, it, is, it is good to do a track day, I suppose, before a sprint to kind of get you on your eyes on track. Um, if if that's what you want to do, it's certainly a good way to kind of get more seat time and practice. But um, yeah, I don't I don't do track days. It's just yeah yeah interesting. Thank you. We've got one last question for you from me, which will close it. But before we go there, Andy, do we have do we have comments and questions coming in for Dave, please? Yes, uh, Alex uh, Salmon saying, no, it's just jumped in, so it might have been covered. And we did kind of go around the edges of this, but coming from hill climbing to sprinting, what's the main differences? Um, and we talked about gradient, didn't we, earlier? We but did. actually, there's, whilst gradient is the defining factor in practical terms, um, what you tend to find is that hill climbs are really narrow and there's a lot more precision like if you um castle coon for example next weekend if you run uh 20 feet wide for example on the entrance to the corner outbreak yourself run wide by 20 feet you'll be all right um i don't know what that is in meters i don't know why i talk in feet i'm a metric guy <laughs> but <laughs> if you run <laughs> if you run 10 meters wide <laughs> or five meters wide at uh Wiscombe hill climb for example you're in a tree um yes. and i think that's probably the difference between mm. um between the two in practical terms uh, there's nuances isn't there with um uphill corners and uphill braking is very different to uh driving on the flat a lot of circuits and airfields for sprints tend to be completely flat with very little um, up and down. And I think that makes the dynamics of the corners very different. Um, I'm going to ignore the fact that Crystal Palace is very much like a hill climb, but it's a sprint and it's flat. Yes. We'll yes. I mean, the, the, the minimum width, the, the minimum width um, of a hill climb track to get a track license is three and a half meters, um, which does not leave a lot of space on either side of the car. The scenery will be closer. Um, Interesting, the um, I think it was before I did Abingdon sprint last time. The previous event I'd done was a hill climb and had that need for precision and almost felt a degree of freedom that you had that extra space. It's probably easier easier to experiment a bit on a sprint than it is on a hill climb. Um, but the, the essential nature of the competition, um, I know you'll cover covering a bit, Andy, sort of cars and cars and rules and a bit of stuff like that, but it's it's fundamentally the same thing without the slope <laughs> and, a, and, a, bit and more, a bit more space. And it, it's a different challenge, actually. Hmm. Um, so I, I love race. Um, 
the so going absolutely maximum uh, angle sequences on fast burning um, is you know, is is awesome as is um, spreading the way up Lowton Park. Yeah, uh, you know, going a lot slower on the on the hill, but it is just as exciting. And it is it is a really they're, they're really really challenging. Yeah. Both at both aspects I find really challenging. I don't I don't find this, the sprinting easy in in terms after you've done a hill. Uh, you've still got to absolutely maximise, like I said, you've got to maximise your braking, your your throttle control, your positioning on the corners and stuff like that. So, and then the clock doesn't lie. No, so that's 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 the ultimate measure. So, it, so yeah, it's um, yeah. yeah, it's it's it gives me the same buzz to do both. Yeah, and you can use the same car on each, so it's it's a bit the same as probably across all motorsport. Try them both. See what you like the best. You might like Absolutely. one. You might like the other. Um, yeah. Are we? Can we? Can we give Dave his final question, or, or do you have anything more you wish to pitch in, please, Andy? I I, I think we go for a final question. Okay. So the the final question, Dave, it's a it's a bit of a sort of a, a hypothetical question, sadly, but you've got one day, one car of your choice, and one place to drive it. What are you going to pick for that special day in your selected car at your selected venue? This too difficult. Um, so I'll be at Spa. Yes. And I'll be in a Zonda. Spa oh, in a Zonda. Ooh. Had I think about that more, I would have guessed that. Yeah, Zonda. Definitely. So, if anyone has got a spare Zonda, they want to let me um, go in, then, yeah. Then that's uh, where you'd uh, like it delivered. That's where you'd like it delivered to, is it? Yeah, I reckon I can try. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you, Dave, so much for the information you shared, um, the entertainment, the experience that you've had. Um, we wish you well at the Great Western Sprint. Obviously, stay on the call if you uh, stay stay on the podcast if you wish to add anything more in. Um, but we thank you very much for your contributions. Thank you. Speak to you. Thanks. Well, that was great to catch up with Dave in ways that we don't normally catch up with him. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed that, Andy. What about you? Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. It led to some questions that definitely should have been asked a long time ago, and I I had I had a really good time. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Um, we hope you did listening too. Um, please let us know by emailing speedonscreen at gmail.com. That's speedonscreen at gmail.com. In our next episode, we'll look at the categories and classes that apply to your car, whether it's a car you already have or one that you might think about obtaining in order to take part in your first sprint. Um, Andy, we really look forward to you guiding us through that and look forward to hearing from you next time. It's hoping I can make some sense of the rules and regulations so that you can all understand it. I'm sure you will, and we'll see you then.